Jordan Peterson is divisive because of his weaknesses, not his strengths. He is merely the 2018 version of Robert Bly and the mythopoetic movement of the 1980s. Welcome to The Future is Electric, a techno-optimistic podcast associated with the medium publication of the same name. We explore the future with a recurring focus on climate change, technologies which are transforming our world, and a side helping of politics and culture. I'm your host, Michael Bernard, Chief Strategist of TFIE. Jordan B. Peterson is many things. He's a former clinical psychologist and a former University of Toronto professor. He's a best-selling author of 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And he's a YouTube and former Patreon star who made a reported $100,000 a month. He's become famous in large part for his refusal to address students by the preferred gender-neutral pronouns. He's been called the most influential public intellectual in the Western world and the intellectual we deserve. He's also been called an intellectual huckster, the stupid man's smart person, a secularized televangelist, and dangerous. So why is he so divisive? Why are so many intelligent, educated people deeply leery of Peterson, while so many others are deeply enamored of him and his ideas? Let's start with his academic merit. Peterson was a serious academic with rock-solid credentials and academic publications within his discipline. He has a PhD from McGill University, one of Canada's best universities. He taught and researched at Harvard University and was a tenured professor at the University of Toronto. However, the philosophical background for his book, 12 Rules for Life, and his YouTube popularity over his gender pronouns debate arise not from his area of academic expertise, but from non-adjacent areas in which he has no academic expertise. Many of his supporters extend his academic expertise and bona fides to his popular writings, but many don't. Therein lies one divide. Next, there are his social ideas. Peterson is a social conservative of a particular type. He's Christian. He thinks men are inherently different than women, and that this is a positive versus merely interesting thing. He has a theory of masculinity, which is patriarchal in nature. He has a strong belief, see his lobster metaphor, that humans are inherently and innately hierarchical, and that men should be more dominant. He's on record as espousing enforced monogamy. He refused to use gender-neutral pronouns. Some social conservatives find his stance appealing. Some social conservatives don't. Therein lies another divide. He patronizes extremists. His comments on enforced monogamy, especially, have made Peterson the patron saint of incels, men going their own way, and men's rights, activists, types in general. These are men who, because of their toxic misogyny, have significant problems having any type of beneficial relationship with women, men who are much more likely to be violent to women, often fatally. Peterson Peterson is giving them quasi-intellectual cover for their misogyny, and has been for years often in one-on-one Skype counseling sessions for which he charged $200. He does not draw a clear line. Instead, he allows his better ideas to be expropriated and turned into vileness. His propensity for authoritarian demagoguery, as noted by his former mentor, means he says more of the things the masses like to hear. He echoes their echoes and makes a great deal of money from it. 
For misogynists, this doesn't seem problematic. For the rest of us, it's an ugly and venal aspect of Peterson that makes us even less interested in what simplistic nuggets of guidance he's actually right about. Then there's Carl Jung. Within the mythopoetic men's movement, Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung is a rock upon which the entire which entire philosophies of thought, belief, and action can be built without qualm. For the rest of us, Jung is an interesting historical character who had a few good insights, but has been superseded by empirical reality. Peterson is all over Jung, as Rob, Robert Bly was in the early 1980s. Most of Peterson's readers have vaguely heard of Jung and gained most of their knowledge of him through reading Peterson. People who have moved on from Jung shake their heads over, this recur over his recurrence. Th then there's the quality of his advice. Some of his, adv his advice is good, but incredibly obvious. Some of his advice is head-scratching, and some of his advice is pure farce. Here's the complete list of Peterson's 12 rules for life. 1. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. 2. Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. 3. Make friends with people who want the best for you. 4. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else, not to who someone else is today. 5. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. 6. Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. 7. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. 8. Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. 9. Assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. 10. Be precise in your speech. 11. Do not bother children when they are skateboarding. 12. Pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. Be truthful. Don't be friends with people who are going to backstab you. Backstab you, make your bed. Sure, okay. But that's dime store wisdom. Pet a cat? Shoulders back? Don't let your children make you hate them? This is fatuous stuff, even by the standards of genre of the genre of self-help books. As for be precise, as all the critics point out, Peterson couldn't be precise if his life depended on it. And the humility part is not his strong suit. There's a strong division between people who think Peterson's rules are amazingly wise and offer valuable guidance, and those who look at them and think that they're trite, obvious, or merely silly. Another point of division is his inherent genius. His followers and advocates seem to think that Peter is an unrivaled genius. Peterson certainly encourages that, claiming his IQ is over 150, based on a test that he did decades ago that he vaguely remembers. Most of the rest of us think he's a bright guy who was showing strong signs of being unhinged before he checked into rehabilitation for prescription drug abuse. Peterson is merely the current frontman for the recurrent and always mythical crisis of masculinity. Last time around it was Robert Bly, Joseph Campbell, and Robert Johnson who were the foci. This crisis of masculinity occurs in relatively affluent, younger, white males with too much time on their hands. The focal points for action are always older white father figures. The repetition is merely tiresome and predictable. The excesses of the adherence to the crisis of masculinity movement are mostly harmless, except that we are in an era of self-radicalization on the internet. Incels are turning into mass murderers. 
and the single biggest predictor of mass violence is previous domestic violence against women. We are in an era when absurdly puffed-up strongmen are leading countries. Those of us who think Peterson is dangerous point to his worst and most dangerous adherents and ask why he isn't actively talking them down instead of talking them up. You have been listening to The Future is Electric, a techno-optimistic view of climate change, transformative technologies, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Michael Bernard, Chief Strategist of TFIE. These podcasts are available from the medium publication of the same name, Anchor FM, and other podcast sites. Let us know that you are enjoying us via claps and medium, and tell us what you'd like us to cover next. 